This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I like to live in the future. Well, apparently, the Big Ten Conference also likes to live in the future. They released their future football schedules. We know where the Ducks are going in 2024. We know where the Huskies are going. We know where UCLA and USC are playing. Hell, we know that the Ohio State University is coming to Autzen Stadium. You may have mixed feelings about this if you're an Oregon State fan or a Washington State fan. But I would, uh, I'd caution you to pump the brakes on that. This one may break in your favor. I'll tell you what I mean by that, and I'll break down what I think of the schedule in a moment. But first, let's go back to that day. That day that Carl Schultz, the new president at Oregon, announced that the Ducks were leaving for the Big Ten Conference. I spent a lot of time with the trustees where they're giving me, we're engaged in dialogue about how to move the university forward. But there's a common theme to everything that we talked about. And that theme is how do we make the University of Oregon an even better university five years, 10 years, and 15 years from now. Today, we have been granted one of those opportunities. Earlier today, the Big Ten Conference invited us to become a member of the Big Ten. The Big Ten is not only a remarkably strong athletic conference, it is one of the premier academic conferences in the country. Indeed, I would say it is the finest academic athletic conference in the country. That's Carl Schultz, president at Oregon, announcing the invite. And they may be able to play a game of semantics saying, hey, we were invited, we never gave public notice. But wasn't the release of the schedule today by the Big Ten Conference, didn't that amount to notice that Oregon and Washington and UCLA and USC are, in fact, going to play football in the Big Ten Conference in 2024? I could hear the attorneys in Pullman and Corvallis going, oh, all right, we'll take that as the schedule came out. I could also hear fans, Duck fans and Husky fans and UCLA fans and USC fans excited about what they view as an improved home schedule. From the Ducks' standpoint, in case you haven't seen the schedule, it'll feature away games against Michigan, Purdue, UCLA, and Wisconsin. So the Ducks will get one Big Ten game on the uh, – West Coast, as far as the travel is concerned, and it features home games against Illinois, Maryland, Michigan State, Ohio State, and rival Washington. Meanwhile, the Huskies are going to Indiana, Iowa, 
Oregon, as I mentioned, Penn State and Rutgers, and the Huskies will be playing home games against Michigan, Northwestern, UCLA, and USC. So they get both of the L.A. schools at home, and they get Michigan at home. Uh, A couple of quick takeaways from this. Um, Look, from a football standpoint, I don't blame you if you're a Duck fan, if you're excited for seeing, hey, the Ducks are going to go to Ann Arbor, or if you're a Husky fan, the Michigan is coming to Husky Stadium. I also think you look at Ohio State making that return trip that Oregon fans hoped it would make. Uh, in 2024, that's going to happen. The Buckeyes are coming to Autzen Stadium. Uh, they're going to play a Big Ten game against Oregon, not a non-conference game. Uh, for, if you're one of those fans that's interested in the Civil War rivalry or the Apple Cup rivalry, it seems to me that if Oregon is going to play the Civil War rivalry, they'd have to drop a non-conference game, and they'd probably be open to traveling to Corvallis if that happened given that they already have five conference home games. So keep an eye on that as a possibility, although I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen in 2024. It just seems logistically difficult for Oregon to wiggle out of a non-conference game. Uh, Huskies in a little different boat. They are looking for a non-conference game, and uh, they're probably looking for a non-conference home game, given that they only play four home games in the Big Ten. So the Apple Cup possibly on the table, for Washington and Washington State if 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 the Cougars are willing to go to Husky Stadium. From USC and UCLA standpoint, interesting schedule. UCLA will go on the road to play Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, and Washington. Some difficult travel to Penn State and Rutgers in particular for UCLA. At home, they get a uh, underwhelming schedule in my eyes. They get Indiana, they get Iowa, they get Minnesota. They get the Oregon Ducks, that's a good one, and they get USC, that's a good one. But three underwhelming home dates for US, UCLA uh, as far as uh, home ticket sales are concerned. USC will go on the road in 2024. They have five road games, including Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, UCLA, and Washington. And they'll be home against Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. What do you make of a schedule? 503-417-7575. And if you're a Beaver fan or a Cougar fan, I don't blame you if you saw this today and you rolled your eyes. Because normally, the Big Ten Conference does not come out with this schedule in October of the previous football season. Normally, they wait. The fact that they released it now was very curious to me. And I wondered in some weird way if they were uh, you know, trying to lock these teams in for the, with the potential litigation coming down the pipeline. Nothing's done till it's done. We're told we're you know, trying to lock these teams further in by announcing the schedule, or are they trying to help the Pac-2 conference by giving clarity and providing the fact that, yeah, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and USC have all given public notice, and in fact the schedule coming out sort of amounts to that. But uh, I was left today with a clearer picture from a travel standpoint of the burden it's going to put on non-revenue producing, uh, generating sports, uh, the travel burden it will put on fans who are trying to get to some of these new locations. We're going to bring Jerry Palm, who is located in the Big Ten footprint, on the show here in a few minutes. He's going to talk about what it is to get to West Lafayette, Indiana for a Purdue game. If you're a Duck fan, go, want to go to the Purdue game, what you should encounter. He's going to give us kind of a flavor of the Big Ten Conference. Now, look, I covered this conference 25 years ago. I covered Purdue. I covered Indiana. I was all over the Big Ten footprint. 
And I can tell you that, like, within the Big Ten footprint, you can drive to a lot of these towns. Like, you don't need to get on a plane to go from Ann Arbor to East Lansing or from Ann Arbor to West Lafayette, Indiana, or from East Lansing, Michigan to Bloomington, Indiana, or to Champaign, Illinois, or to Evanston. You don't have to get on a plane to go to a lot of these places. But I'm now looking at a lot of Big Ten fans who are probably excited, much in the same way that, like, when a Midwestern school gets a trip to the Rose Bowl, hey, everybody, let's get out of the snow. Let's get into some good weather. Maybe the Big Ten fans are excited about coming west, coming to Seattle, coming to Eugene, coming to, uh, you know, to UCLA and USC for West Coast games. We'll find out. I'll ask Jerry Palm. We'll dive deeper on there. Uh, underscored in all this mess is the fact that the Pac-2 is still litigating still suing the other members of the conference, the conference itself. Uh, Commissioner George Klyovkov named in that lawsuit. I keep getting people asking me, what's the timeline for that? There are some important court dates that are coming up. I've sort of looked at November as a pivot point because if you're going to get, like some, most of the discovery is going to happen in the next 21 days, the next three weeks. And so if you're going to get, I think, a settlement here, which I think is the objective not only of the PAC-2, but probably of the, the remaining schools or the departing schools that are leaving, the 10 schools that are leaving, I don't think they want litigation hanging over their heads. But I, people keep asking me, like, what is this lawsuit about now? Is it about survival? Sure. Is it about assets? Absolutely. Is it about face-saving? Yes. It's about all those things. And I think one of the driving forces that nobody's talking about when it comes to this lawsuit is the idea that, Washington State and Oregon State are going to have to call their shot at some point, meaning they're going to have to make their ask. What are they asking for? Because if they get governance of the Pac-2 or the Pac-12, if they have the only two board seats, could they presumably go, well, we want to keep all of the media rights money for ourselves. We want all of that money that's coming in, the $460 million that's going to come in that was supposed to be split up among the 12 members. Sorry, we're going to keep it all for ourselves because you hosed us. Now, if they try to do that, I think they're going to get big-time opposition from the other 10 members. The other members are going to want to uh, seek a change of venue. They're going to want to escalate it to a, you know, a federal case. They're going to want to take the jurisdiction out of that little courtroom in Colfax and take it somewhere in another state where they can get a more favorable shake. So I don't think Oregon State and Washington State are going to seek to have total control of all the media rights money. But I do think they're after the emergency fund. I think they're after the NCAA tournament units that will be cashed in in future years. And I think they're possibly after the equivalency payments that the college football playoff is set to pay the Pac-12 for taking the Rose Bowl away. It's $100 million that they own the conference over the next two years. And I think Oregon State and Washington State would very much like to collect that money by themselves and remain self-sufficient and not have to turn to their state legislatures and ask for more money to subsidize the athletic department. And I'm not sure that they're going to get a lot of opposition if that's all they're seeking. So we'll keep an eye on that as it unfolds. And so even as I saw the Big Ten football schedule come out today, in the back of my mind I thought, hey, this is great for Oregon and Washington. This is exciting. Like the fans at Oregon and Washington are understandably excited about seeing Ohio State and Michigan State and Washington and home games. The fans at Washington are excited about seeing Michigan and UCLA and USC in home games and maybe playing Penn State on the road. 
and going to Oregon, and that's the Big Ten schedule that they're going to play. But I also think that uh, there are a lot of Oregon State, Washington State fans initially who went, oh, man, this sucks. It's another reminder that those schools got left out. But in the end, I, I, I kind of think this is more notice. Like, these schools are out. Schedules are being made. Notice has been given, and there's a damaging effect to Washington State and Oregon State as it pertains to their ability to do business right now because of that. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want to know what you thought of the schedule. Judah Newby's in the big chair today. Uh, Judah, what did you think when you saw the schedule? Ohio State's visit, that jumped out first for sure. Excited about that from uh, from an Oregon standpoint. Going back to Michigan for the first time since that classic 07 game. Uh, that's definitely exciting. And honestly, it was just a reminder that Hey, these, there's only going to be four, you know, Big Ten road trips for Oregon, and you know, one of them's UCLA. Like the the, I was making all this business in my head that the travel is going to be so difficult, and obviously for football, it's much different than the other sports. But it's just three times: Michigan, Purdue, Wisconsin. Those are your Midwest road trips, um, and that almost softened the the you know Big Ten consequences in my head a little bit, whether fair or unfair. Did that have the same impact in your head? Like you say, hey, there's only three Big Ten true road trips on this schedule outside of the UCLA one that you might do anyway. I was never worried about football, and so that probably shades what I'm about to say. I was never worried about football making a trip and the burden on the football players. Chip Kelly said it's a different thing. They're they're traveling on a charter. They're taking a direct flight. They're leaving, you know, the night of the game, after the game, as soon as they pack up, they're getting on the plane. They beat me home when I travel to games, even inside the Pac twelve footprint and and then they're gonna continue to do that. But these trips are longer and, you know, I looked at the total mileage during the football season. It's like a multiple of five or six for some of these schools that are on the West Coast of what they're normally used to. And I started thinking about the other sports. And I started thinking about connecting flights and extra days and how are they going to uh, mitigate that. And I wondered how long before we get basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, softball, how long before those other sports start to really squawk about the impact and that it's having on them? Because I, I think it will have an impact on those sports. And maybe what happens is you end up with um, a, a, you know an acceleration of the splintering of football away from everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here's the other thing, too. I, I kind of looked at UCLA's home schedule. That was the other thing that jumped out at me. I thought UCLA has a hard time drawing right now. They have a hard time drawing at all. And it seems to me... The Big Ten just kind of went, hey, we get it. You can't draw unless it's Oregon or USC. So we're going to give you those two. And then we're going to give you Indiana, Iowa, and Minnesota at home. <laughs> that is garbage. That is soft. Soft. This is the quint Kucinich, put the cupcake on the sideline at UW soft. I mean, Minnesota, Iowa, and Indiana, that's what you get for your for your home schedule. Yeah, that that feels like it's doing UCLA a bit of a favor there. And uh, just the Rose Bowl in general, I don't know that they're going to be bolstered by anything. But, you know, you're right. Oregon and USC were going to be the biggest draws for them anyway when uh, when it was all said and done. I was kind of hoping the Oregon-Penn State game would be next year because that's one I'm really looking forward to uh, for the novelty of it outside of the 94 Rose Bowl, particularly when Oregon goes to Happy Valley. 
We don't we don't get that. Um, but I, I know they laid it out as well for 2025 through 2028 too, didn't they, John? So I could probably take a look at future schedules and see yeah. when that game's going to be. Yeah, they laid it out, and uh, I can get it for you here in a second. But how about this too? Oregon plays Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah. You know UCLA doesn't play either, and USC only plays uh, Michigan, and Washington only plays Michigan. Uh, you know, yeah. I thought to myself, like I thought to myself, is that good or bad? Is it? It feels like that's that's good toward them, right? They're almost trying to. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it almost softens their ramp up into the conference. Is that because they were the first ones through the door from the Pac-12, I, and they're trying to I do them a favor? It feels to me. I, a conspiracy theorist in me is is going. Let's let's just outline UCLA's schedule, because UCLA was the team when the LA schools left. I said, hey, USC is going to be fine there; they'll compete. UCLA is going to have a hard time. That's a basketball school trying to go play in the Big Ten. I said oh, they're going to have a hard time ever thinking about being a playoff team. But look at their schedule: they have Nebraska, Penn State. That's a tough one. Rutgers, Washington, Indiana, Iowa. Minnesota, Oregon, USC. So Oregon, USC, Washington are tough, but those are schools that are playing in the Pac-12 anyway. So they gave them Rutgers, they gave them Nebraska, Indiana, Iowa, Minnesota. You tell me the schedule makers in the Big Ten were not trying to say to UCLA, hey, we don't want you to go 3-9. and nine. Right. That's that's kind of where my mind goes with it, too. No disrespect to you know some of those schools like Minnesota. I know they're probably underrated, but I agree with you there. I've got another question for you. Do you think... Where Oregon and Washington are right now in terms of their program trajectory, heck, even even USC and UCLA, it, this move now, the 2024 move, is it the best chance the, the Pac-12 schools have to actually compete on level ground with the Big Ten schools? Meaning the quality of football is more comparable now than it would have been. And if this move had happened five, six years ago, the results on the field would not have been pretty for some of these migrating schools. I just, I just kind of wonder about the Pac-12's media expiration date had it been a year later yeah and had george kleofkoff and his consultant boutique consulting firm been able to uh sell this year to potential tv partners i i don't think the conference is breaking up i i think they're probably feeling pretty good about it um what, what were you asking about on future schedules? I have Oregon's future schedules in front of me. Yeah, I, I pulled it up as well. I was particularly interested in the trip to Happy Valley, the Penn State road game. And, uh, 2025. 2025. That's, I can't wait for that one already. And that's the other side of this, right? There's some just banger matchups. They're going 2025 conference. and 2028. They'll go to Penn State both years. And Penn State comes to Eugene, it looks like, in 27. So 2027. That's good stuff though, man. So it, I think it's I think it's going to be good for Oregon's ticket sales. I think it's going to be good for Oregon's brand. I think Oregon we're going to find out if they're ready to compete with the Ohio States and the Michigans on the field. We know that they can compete in the recruiting rankings, but it, you know, it's a leap there to see what you can do on the field and we're going to find out with USC. Like USC has been floating along this season giving up a bunch of points to Arizona State and Colorado. Yeah. Can you do that even against a Minnesota? Can you do that against Wisconsin? Can you do like, you know, I I think there's going to be a little bit of a rude awakening and and maybe I'm going back to 1998 and how I remember it in that conference, but it was Penn State, it was Ohio State, it was Wisconsin, it was Michigan. Those were all teams that were, you know, everybody talked about, but what nobody talked about was Purdue was pretty damn good with Drew Brees. 
And Indiana had Antoine Randall-L at quarterback, who goes on to have a great NFL career, and they were like a bottom feeder in that conference. And and so if you didn't show up to play, you got beat. It wasn't that you, hey, you won by seven, your defense was bad, gave up 35 points like USC's been doing. You lose to Minnesota if you don't play well. You, you know, maybe Northwestern, maybe Rutgers is, is, are easier, but, you know, you lose to Iowa. You lose to Michigan State if you don't show up to play, and you lose to Purdue. And so I think that it's not just Mi- Michigan State and Ohio State and Penn State that everybody needs to think about. Like, there are some teams in the middle of that conference that could probably come into the Pac-12 and compete, you know, at, as, you know, the second or third place team. Can Dan Lanning still use the... We're built on substance, not flash line. Not, in, when he goes not to at Wisconsin. <laughs> so I got Kirk Ferentz in a children's hospital yeah. on the other <laughs> side. We're built on substance, not flash. You're not going to get that. But I would love to hear from our listeners what you saw, what jumped out at you. Are you excited as a Duck fan? Are you excited as a Beaver fan to see the schedule come out and to go, hey, this is going to – there doesn't have to be discovery. You just kind of hope that the attorneys on all sides have Twitter. They'll be able to see that you know Oregon and Washington have effectively announced their departure. Let's take a quick phone call, then we'll go to Jerry Palm of CBS Sports. David and Eugene, what's up, man? Hey, John. Hey, I just wanted to – I had a question, but before I did, um, I know you just mentioned how would Oregon compete against Ohio State and Michigan. Well, of course, we just beat them you know, at the horseshoe two years ago, and we've kind of cleaned up on Michigan the last couple times we've played them. Yes, I get what you're saying, and I note that, and I, in fact, picked Oregon to win at Ohio State. But that was a Super Bowl game for Oregon against Ohio State. When you when you are encountering these opponents on a week-to-week-to-week basis, I think it's the same argument that we give Gonzaga. Hey, you're, you're playing in a conference where you don't have this kind of competition at the top. You get to the NCAA tournament. Yes, you're high seed. You advance. I, I think at the end of that season... Uh, Ohio State was playing better football than Oregon, and I wouldn't have wanted to see that game played again. But I get what you're saying. Oregon, on a one-off game in a non-conference setting, has been able to win those games. And now we're going to find out. Can they Can they beat Michigan State in Week 8? Can they beat Ohio State in Week 9? Can they beat Wisconsin in Week 5? Like, we're going to find out. Can they beat Purdue in the early part of the season? We'll find all of that out, David. I think I think it's a great study. I don't know. What do you think? You think Oregon will compete for a playoff spot at the top of the Big Ten? Oh yeah, I I definitely think so, and not just because I'm a I'm an Oregon fan, but just if you look at where our program is going on the trajectory, uh, we're we're getting the recruits, we're getting the same players that those schools are getting, and I think with our home field advantage, uh, we we are going to be able to probably start competing for Big Ten titles. Uh, I think we've got actually a shot to do it this upcoming in the, you know, our inaugural year in the Big Ten. I, I would feel better about it. I appreciate that call. I'd feel better about it if Oregon wins the Pac-12 this year and makes the playoff. In fact, I'd feel better about it if they get into the playoff and they run into Michigan or Ohio State or whoever and they win that game. And then I'd go, okay, you know what? They're built for this. But you know, keep in mind, it's been seven years since Oregon got to the playoff. And – the team that has dominated the Pac-12 has been Utah in the last couple of years. It, is this Oregon's year? We'll find out. What should Oregon, Washington, and others expect in the Big Ten? Well, I'm going to go to Jerry Palm. He is the Big Ten guy. He's in the CBS Sports 
crew. He will give us his outlook. What did he see when he saw the schedule? How will these teams fare on a week-to-week-to-week basis? And what the hell is it like to travel to Purdue from Eugene, Oregon? Jerry Palm coming up. Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA in the Big Ten Conference. If you're just waking up from a coma, you're going, huh, what? What happened? Is this a Rose Bowl? What's going on? Uh, It's getting real as the Big Ten released their 2024 and beyond conference schedule. So the 2024 season is set. Oregon will play away games at Michigan, Purdue, UCLA, Wisconsin, home games against Illinois, Maryland, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Washington. Here to talk about it, Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, a guy who went to college in the Big Ten footprint, lives in the Big Ten footprint, bangs the drum, so to speak, literally, in the Big Ten footprint. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. You know, they don't let me hit the drum. I'm not allowed to hit the drum. What what I, instrument? I probably, because because you know my aim's really bad. Despite the size of the drum, I yeah. would probably miss and, and somehow damage it or me. So, for for people who don't know, Jerry Palm, not only uh, your resident bracketologist and RPI guy, he is also a former member of the Purdue marching band, and and I think you're in the alumni band. Are you not? Well, when we have alumni band, that's every other year. But um, I currently have a son in the band who is the sixth member of my family to march in the Purdue band. So. Wow. So, yeah, we've been around the band for a while. Now, I covered Purdue 1998-99. Gene Cady was the basketball coach. Joe Tiller was the football coach. I believe Drew Brees was just a freshman. He was baby-faced Drew Brees. I know a little about Purdue, but you know a lot about Purdue. Oregon is going to Purdue in 2024 to play a conference football game. First of all, how weird does that feel for you? Very. I mean, very weird. Because when I was in school, the Big Ten was actually 10. You know, and... When Penn State joined, which has now been roughly 30 years, I thought, well, that's pretty weird. Um, and the plus, first of all, it made us 11, which is a strange number. And then it was Penn State, which is this Eastern school, and we aren't really an Eastern conference. We're Midwestern. So I just thought it was a weird fit. I didn't really like it, and I'm curmudgeonly that way. So, you know, 30 years later, I'm still like, hey, Penn State, get off my lawn, right? Um, so I don't mean that to say that I'm not welcoming Oregon. You know, we'll, we'll be happy to see you next year and, and your fans and your football team and probably run us out of the building, but that's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is it is very weird uh, for me as a longtime Big Ten guy to, to think of the league being almost twice as big as it was when I was growing up. Give me an idea. What you know? What do, what do you tell Oregon fans that will travel to West Lafayette, Indiana? What is that trip going to be like? What is that town like? What are the fans like on game day? Yeah, it's – well, first of all, when you go to all of these Big Ten places, you know, this is the Midwest. It's agrarian communities in a lot of spots, um, Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue, um, Illinois, you know, out in, the, out in you know, a campus in the middle of farm country. And, uh, and so Purdue will be like that. Now it's a city, Lafayette's a city, and it's a pretty good – uh, brewery city uh, for especially uh, its size. So if you're into that kind of thing, I've got some recommendations for you. Um, but it's you know it's a it's a campus in, in a college town where the the entire town revolves around the college. Now Lafayette, you know across the river, you know they they've got some of their other stuff going on. But 
Um, but West Lafayette is, is your typical college town in, in the middle of farm country, and there's a lot of those in the Big Ten. Will the fans welcome Oregon fans, you know, yeah. Washington fans? Yeah. Will they be sure. Will they be like the SEC fan who invites you over to the tailgate? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you come to my tailgate, for sure. But, yes, um, generally speaking, if you want to crash a tailgate and you're, you know, you're polite, you're nice, and, yeah, the people will definitely welcome you. Um, the best place in the Big Ten for that, the nicest fans in all of college football, Nebraska. Wow. When you get to go to Nebraska, they will treat you like royalty. You know, Purdue fans will be nice to you, Indiana fans, whatever. Everywhere you go, people will be nice to you unless you give them a reason not to. Nebraska fans are just, they have a reputation for being the nicest fans in college football, and they totally live up to it. I'm looking at future schedules and seeing opportunities for Purdue, for example, to travel, and it does look like, there will be some opportunities where they'll go on the road and they'll get to go to some new places on the West Coast. Is there a town that you think uh, Boiler fans are excited to go to or curious about, or does playing some new conference opponents open curiosity and excitement, or is it kind of like, no, we'd, we'd rather see Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State every year? <laughs> well, we'll still get to see Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan State. In fact, Purdue's protected rivalries are Illinois and Indiana, so we'll play them every year, but... Um, now, I'm kind of excited about it because, you know, I've been to L.A. I haven't seen a football game out there. I've been to Seattle and on Washington's campus. I've been on the UCLA campus. I've been on the USC campus. I've been to 47 states. Oregon is not one of them. So I'm in particular looking forward to going to Oregon. Purdue played there uh, 10 years ago. Um, pretty good game. We came up short. Uh, as I recall, I couldn't arrange to go then. When Purdue does go to Oregon and here these next five years, I'm sure we will. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going uh, out there to Oregon. So there is a little bit of hey, this is this is refreshing. It's not the same old, same old. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, yeah. is with us. Um, why do you think the Big Ten put out this schedule now? Like, what is the rush to get this out in week six of the current season? Well, the rush is for 2024 because, you know, they already had a schedule out. And people are starting to make plans. You know, some of these plans take a while to put together. Um, so the rush is for 2024. But they've got it all. You know, the, the, the process came up with a five-year schedule. So there's no point in not releasing schedules. Football schedules are always released years in advance. So the unusual thing is that we're in the fall of 2023 without a 24 schedule. Um, so there was some urgency, at least for that, and uh, that's probably why they decided to do it. It's the minute they had it ready. I think, too, it opens up some possibilities as Oregon State and Washington State are looking for opponents. It now looks like Washington's going to need a home non-conference opponent to pick up a sixth game at home, and, and maybe the Apple Cup could be played. So I think there's some silver lining here for some of the Cougar yeah. and Beaver fans who feel like, hey, they've been left out. What are they going to do? Yeah. You know, maybe there's a now you can see the home and home forming for the Apple Cup or maybe a civil war down the line. Jerry Palm with us. I really CBS. hope yeah. so. Yeah, give I us really give it so. because give a us, lot of you yeah. know these conference changes have have caused rivalries to go away, and I think it would be a shame if those rivalries went away because of this. Give me the sentiment of the average Big Ten fan. As they look at those two schools I mentioned, the Pac-2 left behind, how are they feeling about that? 
Is is there empathy in that footprint for what's happening? I would say probably for the for those who are thinking about it at all, um, because those are faraway schools. Now we had Oregon State in our house two years ago. Uh, I think the last time I saw you in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that you know, I was really impressed with Oregon with their program and you know the people that came and you know Oregon State uh, and obviously that program has been building. Um, but yeah, you know certainly. I mean, you have to feel empathy for these schools, right? I mean, if you feel empathy at all, um, you know, they, they've really kind of gotten the shaft here. And it's, you know, it's the nature of the beast. It's just not something that that's favored them. And, and I really hope they find a landing spot that allows them to continue uh, to be what they've been. And I, I don't know how that works out. You know, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on the politics of that, and it's not an easy thing to to create um, but I, I hope they can find a way. It, I'm as a Big Ten guy with a long-term relationship with the Pac-12 that we've had. I'm a, I'm pretty annoyed that taking Oregon and Washington away when we did ended up being the final blow. You know, the the one that cat that caused the cascade for the Pac-12 to kind of disappear. I really was hoping that the Big Ten would not do that, and they did. And I just think that that was kind of a rotten thing to do to a longtime business, you know, partner. Will UCLA be able to compete in football in the Big Ten? I don't think it'll be any harder necessarily. Well, it'll be a little bit harder than in the Pac-12. And, you know, they've been reasonably competitive. Uh, it just depends on, you know, whether or not they can get, you know, the players it takes to compete. Um, you know, we're adding to this league four pretty good football programs. Right, three that are ranked in the top ten right now. Yeah, UCLA is just outside the rankings. So you know these are these are good programs. It's a very good program. It's going to make the top of our conference very strong. It's a bigger problem for the for the Purdue's of the world and the Rutgers and the Maryland's to try and keep up with. You know, now the top of this league, you could be a pretty good team and be the seventh or eighth best team in this league. And that's just how strong the top of the league is going to get with the addition of these four schools. Why do you think Purdue, Indiana, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, why did they go along with it? Because I, I for a long time, looked at that and thought, they're never going to get those schools to buy in. Was it simply money? Yeah, no question. I mean, that's really the only reason to do it at all. I mean, there's no... There's no other really re- good reason to do this. It's it's about you know making everybody's war chest bigger. You know it's it's not certainly not a competitive thing. I mean it's going to make the top of the league pretty good, but if you're not in the top of the league, it's an it's an uphill climb to get to the top of the league. And things like you know Purdue winning a division last year and getting to play for a Big Ten championship. I mean they're going to have to catch lightning in a bottle. It's already been that way for Purdue. You know they were in two Rose Bowls in my lifetime. Uh, 1967 and 2000 with Drew Brees. That's it. You know, those were special events. You know, that I don't know how Purdue is ever going to duplicate that. They were having a hard enough time in, in the league as it's currently constructed, and you add these programs to it. The Cinderella stories are going to be really hard to come by. It's well put. Oregon has got high hopes. It went into Columbus and beat the Buckeyes in Columbus a couple of years ago with Mario Cristobal. Yep. It, it it has a win over Michigan at home in a way, and 
But I'm trying to tell people the day in, day out, week in, week out grind of the Big Ten makes those kinds of things, uh, you know, like, yeah, you, you showed me you can compete on a one-off, but week in, week out, how is it different in that conference, Jerry? Well, it would be different for Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA because of the road trips are so long. You know, and even, you know, the West Coast road trips. I mean, the trip to L.A. is a three-hour flight, right? So the, the closest flight I was looking a month or so ago when they started talking about this, I think the closest flight from Seattle to a current Big Ten city is Minneapolis, and it's like three hours and 15 minutes. That's the, that's the closest flight. You know, every road trip is going to be four, four and a half hours door-to-door somewhere. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. But football, you've only got, you know, a handful of road games. So it's not so bad for football, but think about all the other sports that have to do this. Yeah. You know, baseball, volleyball, you know, all of these other sports that are having to do this. It's going to be a real drain on some of those athletes. And I think it's going to be really hard for them, you know, to, 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 to condition themselves for all of the travel that's going to be involved. I don't think it's going to be as big a deal for football. Yeah, Washington uh, from Seattle to LAX probably just under three hours. Oregon's about two twenty to get to LA from uh, from Eugene. But I get what you're saying. There, you know, the Ducks are going to Michigan, Purdue, UCLA, Wisconsin. That's that's harder than playing, well, you know, Oregon State and and sure. Washington State and some others. And when you fly to, you know, when you when you go to. UCLA or USC, you fly to LA, you're in the city where those schools are. If you're flying to um, Purdue, you're going to Indianapolis, probably not direct to Indianapolis, and then an hour bus ride from the Indianapolis airport up to Lafayette, or an hour south to IU when you play them, or, you know, you fly to Indianapolis, you drive to Illinois, or you fly to Chicago, you drive to Illinois, you know, you're going to fly to somewhere else for the most part you're not going to be in the city where the school that you're playing is, and you're going to be traveling around on almost all of these flights out west. Or east, I'm sorry, out east. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking mainly about those other sports that have connecting flights and won't take a charter. It's going to be brutal. And I think you know right. that's why the regents at Michigan were upset, and I continue to hear from them. Uh, Jerry Palm with us, CBS Sports. Who has got the best band in the Big Ten? I'm not going to talk about mine. Um, okay. Outside of Purdue's, the one I like the best is Wisconsin's. Ohio State, of course, is terrific. It's a great band conference, just generally. There's at least half a dozen bands that are top-notch in the Big Ten. Um, and uh, it's, uh, But you know, the Ohio State band has got the reputation. That, that often goes along with the football team. Purdue's band is great. Wisconsin's is really good. Michigan State's is terrific. Um yeah, there's there's a lot of pretty good bands uh, in the Big Ten, and, and the conference takes a lot of pride in the in the marching bands. Um, you can count on one hand with plenty of fingers to spare with that have got marching bands that are just not so great. Everybody else is really pretty good. What are you looking for? Like what what separates a great band? Um, sound quality and and precision drill. You know, it's how good of a show do you put on? Um, and uh, I have not seen um, really in person any of the four bands that are coming. Um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. And I know USC travels to all their games. So uh, we got, I think we get USC at home in 25. So I'm really excited about that. Um, 
but it's uh, you know it's it's how well do you play and and how how good is the show? Are you entertaining and do you do a good job you know performing it? Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, laying it down for us. I appreciate you, my friend. I will see you soon in West Lafayette, Indiana, of no places. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it, and uh, welcome, Oregon fans. There you go, Jerry Palm. Thanks, my friend. Thanks for joining us. There he goes. I love it. He's the leader of the band. No, he's in the alumni band. His kid's in the band. Five generations in the band. That kid went to band camp. That's what I'm saying. Leave it here. Our big splash still ahead. I love that we got into band talk with Jerry Palm. It was great. I didn't expect that it would go there, but it got there. Uh, some news coming out of Salt Lake City today. It's going to end up being our big splash. If you are a Pac-12 fan trying to figure out what is going on with the two-time defending conference champion Utah Utes, we got a little bit of an update today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, Utah quarterback Cam Rising had previously been reported to have an ACL tear that he suffered in the Rose Bowl last year. He confided to Bill Riley on ESPN's 700 in Salt Lake City that it's much more than an ACL injury. He uh, talked about uh, in depth about the injury and gave an update that opened some eyes in Salt Lake City. But I'll just ask you, kind of give the fans an update of where you are right now and how things are going in your in your rehab and the ability to get back on the field. Um, I'm I'm continuing to develop. Um, just gotta gotta take it one day at a time. Um, and yeah, just really kind of um, wasn't wasn't really expecting to do this, but I think I think it's important that I just kind of let everybody know. Um, I didn't just tear my ACL. I, I tore my ACL, meniscus, MPFL, and MCL. Um, it was a big surgery, and it's not, and it's not an easy comeback. And I've been working my tail off. There's guys that have similar injuries to this, um, such as like Kyler Murray and Hendon Hooker, who have decided not to play this season. And I'm grinding and doing everything I possibly can, and even. Like the fact that I'm going out there and practicing and everything is I'm I'm ahead of schedule and just I'm I'm trying to make sure that I can be out there because no one wants to be out there with with those guys just grinding on the field more than me. But at the at the end of the day, um, it's my body. My body has to recover, and there's not really anyone that um can save much besides um the best doctor in the world, Dr. Ellis Ross, down in L.A., um, can say. I mean, I haven't really talked to any other doctors about my knee, so just been kind of focused on continuing to improve and each and every day, and I know I'm getting closer. And, yeah, i just got to keep making the days count, but I'll be back as soon as, as I'm ready to go. There's a lot of frustration in Salt Lake City, obviously, with the quarterback position. The Utah just doesn't have... Uh, adequate play there without rising on the field. There's some talk about whether he would take a medical red shirt at this point. Uh, they're on a bye week this week. Uh, Bill Riley talking to Cam Rising 
more about you know his ability to get on the field. You wouldn't be putting your body through this. You wouldn't be coming on this radio show, I'm guessing, if you didn't intend to play and try and get out there with your teammates, right? Absolutely. I'm doing everything I possibly can to, to make sure that I'm improving. And at some point, it's just your body has to heal the way it has to heal. And it's it's unfortunate that, that it, and not, not exactly the way I expected this season to go, but it's just the, the cards I've been dealt, and that's just what i got to play. Cam Rising, Utah quarterback, again, getting an update there. Um, you know, I saw him last Friday night at Reeser Stadium. He's uh, acting like a coach on the sideline. He's in warm-up gear. He had a headset on uh, at different points. He had the wristband on where he's checking the plays. He's kind of talking to the two quarterbacks, the younger quarterbacks who played in the game as they came off the field. And you can just kind of see that he's trying to stay in it and stay around it. But, again, he's talking about an MCL, an ACL, a meniscus tear. He mentioned another tear in there. I mean, that's a complete knee reconstruction that we're talking about with Cam Rising. And so now the prognosis of, hey, could he be back at nine months? You start to talk about 10 months, 11 months, 12 months. Then you start to think, you know, Utah's already lost a game. And he's not apparently ready to play. And he's going into a bye week, and he's probably tired of getting asked about it. And his coach is tired of getting asked about it. You know, Kyle Whittingham telling reporters that he'll play when the doctors clear him. Uh, Now we're getting a clearer picture of what is going on with Cam Rising. And I would not be surprised if Utah shuts him down at some point. If he's not ready to come back after the bye week, like you start to kind of look at how much is left of the season. And you look at, you know, the, the fact that you could bring him back next season, presumably with a medical red shirt, and you start to wonder, would he be interested in that? I don't know. Uh, we will soon find out. But that is the latest on Cam Rising, the Utah quarterback, and explains a lot about where, you know the fact that he hasn't been there. Of course, Oregon is going to Utah later this month to play what will be a big football game at Utah that everybody thought would be this huge game. Is it a possibility that Rising could be back for that game? Maybe. But he's giving an update today that I think he paints a, an accurate picture of what's going on. All right, coming up, Anthony Gold, wide receiver, Oregon State. He's next. Well, every week we have Anthony Gold, wide receiver, Oregon State, on the show. This segment is brought to you by Jamba, your local Jamba location. Life is better blended. It's also better when the local teams win. And Oregon State won on Friday night. Reeser Stadium, great crowd. The new stadium with the uh, new premium seating on the west side, new concessions, Beaver Street. It's a good look. I bet you, I'll bet you anything. The other schools on the western part of the United States are going to tour Research Stadium. They're going to go, okay, we need to do that. More premium seating, get the seats closer to the field, take some seats out. Really good look at Oregon State. Football team wins 21-7. Silas Bolden, I thought, was the uh, the man of the match, so to speak. Had a couple of huge plays. Anthony Gold, courtesy of Jamba, here to talk about Friday night's game. Uh, you know, I remember in high school on Friday nights playing under the lights, and it was a big deal, Anthony. What, what does that feel like in college? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's definitely a, a little bit of different environment. Um, but, you know, it's fun. Um, you know, you know, you have a good opportunity to go out there and showcase what you can do because there's not too many games played on Friday night, so you know, everyone naturally um, will be seeing it. So, 
Um, it's definitely a good opportunity. You know, you look at it like that. And it was a good opportunity versus a good team. So uh, playing that game on Friday, you know, it was definitely, definitely rocking. The fans were engaged. And, um, you know, we were happy we were able to get, a, get away with the win. What did that Utah defense feel like? It, it felt like, uh, to me, or it looked like you guys were moving boulders around the stadium. I mean, it was like both teams, really physical game. Oh yeah, um, they're a well, they're a very good defense over there. They're well coached, um, and they play hard. And you know that's one of the better defenses in this league. And um, you know the Pac-12 championship runs through Utah. You know they've run it, the, they won it the last two years. So um, you know that's kind of how we were approaching the game. And um, we knew that we were going to have to execute um, and be well-rounded uh, in the game to have a shot to go out there and um, you know be able to really compete and put up points with. Uh, against our defense, so um, our defense played great all night. Um, we were able to score them and capitalize when we needed to. So um, you know, I think it was a, a great game overall. What about Silas? Silas Bolden, rushing oh, yeah. touchdown. You know, short reception makes a guy miss on an out and takes it to the house. Uh, you see that guy in practice every day. What's he like? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, he's kind of a little bit of more a quiet dude, but um, you know, he's a baller. You know. It's, some of the plays he makes in, in practice, it's like, you know, you can tell that, you know, he's just different. Um, you know, and that's a good thing about, you know, having having a, him as a teammate is, you know, you guys see all the highlights in the games, but some of the stuff he does in practice is even crazier. So, um, you know, I was very happy for him. Uh, you know, he got to put his name out there, like I was saying, on a, a national stage. And, um, you know, he, he went out there and balled out and he executed him uh, when we needed him to and. That's all you can ask for, but, you know, he's a great dude. I'm so proud of him that he did that, and, um, you know, there's definitely going to be more. You get some teams that are having their bye week. You guys will get your moment, but you go, it's on to Berkeley this week and Cal. When you look at film, what do you see what Cal's doing? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Cal's always had a great defense, uh, especially in this league. Uh, you know, year in, year out, they're, you know, they have a, a, a well-sound, um, good defense. Um you know, we know we're going to have to go out there and execute, hopefully be physical uh, in the run game, and, you know, go out there and just put our will on them. And, you know, when you when you do that, it opens up other things in, in the offense. So, um, you know, we've got to go out there and just make it physical, play our brand of football, and um, it should be a good game. Anthony Gold with us, Oregon State wide receiver. What do you get out of a bye week? Because, you know, as I talk to some players, some players love them. Some players like to stay in the rhythm of the season. You know, when you look down the road at a week off in the middle of the season or a week to regroup, what what do you get out of that? Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely it's just time to relax and just take care of your body, you know, first and foremost. Um, you know, me personally, I like to go get a, you know, a couple massages throughout the week, um, you know, as much as I can just to, um, you know, hopefully get, get my body feeling as, cl- as close as I can back to, you know, week one shape, um, although that will never be, never be a thing. But um, I think, you know, we have a, a well – time bye week this year um you know it's deep enough in the season where you have some games under your belt uh but it's, it's not too early in the too too late in the season to where you know it's, it's late super late you know so yeah um I, I definitely think it benefits us and but yeah you know like i said just definitely taking care of your body um you know some people like to you know go home get, visit family for a couple of days uh but yeah you know just being able to just take care of your body, I would say, is the biggest thing. Is there a mental break that happens there because you get, you know, you get out of rhythm a little bit and you get a chance to go, okay, 
Let me think about, you know, because when you're in game week, I got to think, you know, Monday, you know what you're doing. Tuesday, you know what you're doing. You know, bye week comes and you kind of get a chance to exhale a little bit mentally. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not fully a, a bye week uh, in that sense, I'll say, because, you know, we still got school. So although we're not focusing on football, you know, we're still still on school. So, you know, I mean, you, yeah, you definitely look at it that way. Um, you know, some guys like to take that time to really just lock in, focus on school, um, get all that stuff, you know, fine-tuned, locked in. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't say so much a, a bye week, you know, you still want to uh, go and watch over, you know, the games we've already played, what you can do better, um, catch up on extra tape on our next opponent. So um, definitely not just taking the whole week off uh, vacation-wise, but, uh, yeah, definitely getting a, a little bit of a, of a rest and relaxation in that sense. Anthony Gold is with us, wide receiver, Oregon State. All right, your coach, Jonathan Smith, I had him on yesterday. We talked a little bit about the uh, milk the clock uh, gesture, his charade game he was playing on the sideline. Uh, were you on the field when he was doing that? Uh, no, I was not. Okay. I, I didn't see that. Yeah, I did not, didn't even see it during the game. Uh, I, I actually saw it on Twitter after. So. <laughs> I didn't see it either. i got to be honest with you, like, maybe somebody's going to call and yell at me, but I didn't really see the big deal. I thought it was funny. And I thought, okay, like you don't want to do that every week, but that was pretty funny and creative in that moment. <laughs> and But somebody's always going to be offended. And, of course, right. he said somebody called the athletic department. He said uh, so he felt like he should apologize. But I told him, you don't need to apologize. How did the guys react to that when you guys saw that? Oh, yeah, well, you know, we thought it was funny. You know, we we all know Coach Smith. And if you know Coach Smith, you know he means no harm by that. Um, so we all thought it was kind of just like a funny little joke. Um, but other than that, we didn't really see see too much of it. Uh, I actually did not know he apologized for that. So, uh, you know, I, I know Coach Smith, and he didn't mean any harm by that. And um, but you know, to each their own for for their opinion. If they're offended, then I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, yeah, I know he meant no harm. Yeah, I just don't see the point. Like you know, if you sit around, like you know, and I and I get it. Like you know, it. I'm just too busy to be offended like that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have too much going on. And who's going to pick up the phone and call the athletic department and be like, you know, your coach made this gesture on, you know, like, it, this isn't like Janet Jackson in a Super Bowl, you know, a nipple showing or something. He was he was just making the gesture. Hey, he, he saw the referee wound the clock. It was first down. There was a penalty. The referee wound the clock. He was making sure DJ knew, hey, don't be in a hurry here. We got a 21-7 lead. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And- you know, like you said, there's there's always gonna be people always gonna be people out there that feel some type of way or, you know, feel however they feel. So, you know, I think you gotta just take it with a grain of salt. I know we all know Coach Smith meant no harm by it. You know, if you if you really have been around Coach Smith and know how he is, you know he meant no harm by it. So, um yeah, I I thought it was a pretty pretty funny thing on Twitter. Yeah. And, all right, let me ask you this, because we're kinda on that subject that on social media, it's newer, like you've grown up in it, but, you know, it hasn't been around in college football forever. And I can remember a time where the criticism was limited to radio shows and you know, newspapers and, and message boards. But now fans can tweet at you and get to you and get access to you and get in your space. How do you as a player manage that noise on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, I mean... Honestly, I don't. I don't like that 
affect me too much. Um, when you know who you are as a person, as a player, um, you know, others' opinions don't don't affect you too much. And um, especially when, you know, a lot of those people, you know, I probably never played the sport at a high level. Um, you know, so you can't really can't really take the, the opinions of, of people you don't know too too heavily. Or, you know, that, that stuff will will eventually affect you. You know, and I, I definitely think, you know, mental health is real. Um, you know, some athletes, that, that does affect them. And, um, you know, I think it is a shame that, you know, people are, you know, that willing to go on Twitter and uh, talk negative about people um, just because, you know, they might not, might not make a play or, um, you know, make, live up to their expectations of them. But, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. So, you know, it's, it's a shame that people do it. But I personally try not to let it get under my skin. Um, but, you know, I definitely – Definitely don't think it's a it's a tough guy move to go on Twitter and uh, you know talk about people you don't know and um, that's just how I feel about it. What do you tell teammates? Like, have you had teammates that over the years that have come to you and go, you know, these people on social media they're bothering. You can see that it's bothering them. Do you have advice or do you have certain situations where you know you provide support like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I just try and say you know just just. Stay off your stay off the phone, you know. Stay off social media, you know, um, and just you know remember who you are as as a person and as a player at the end of the day, you know. Um, everyone's gonna have their own own opinion, um, whether you agree with it or not, and that's just you know part of life, and you know that's just how it is. Um, so you know, I just tell guys, you know, just you know, everyone, you know, we're here for you. Um, if, you know, just because their opinion, they say what they say, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, you know, I try and try and help guys if they they ever in that situation. Thankfully, I don't think there's been too many situations like that. Um, you know, I've had some some situations where you know people people send me stuff, but you know, I usually just delete it and you know it is what it is. Going about my day. I think you have a healthy outlook with it. Uh, I don't think everybody's that way though. Anthony Gold oh, yeah. is with us. All right, you got a big game in Berkeley. I will see you there. It's always fun to see you uh, in the pregame, you guys warming up, getting ready. And, you know, they're not going to have much of a crowd. You've played there. I've I've been to a ton of games there. Sometimes it can be a little quiet with the fan experience. Um, does that affect both teams to affect the energy of the game? Uh, you know, I would probably not them as much as I would say away teams. But, you know, that's something we, you know, we focused on all week. Um, you know, just realizing that we have to bring our own energy and that, um, you know, there's not going to be too much, too many fans there. Um, so we just, you know, have kind of just realized throughout the week, like, all right, we need to bring our own energy and, um, you know, whatever energy they do have in that stadium, we need to uh, go out there and execute so, we, you know, we get it out get it out quick. So, um, you know, some people may look at it as an advantage or disadvantage, but, um, you know, I think it's, I, yeah, it's going to be a weird atmosphere definitely from the different uh, away games we've had this year. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, visiting teams will come in and try to silence the crowd. It, 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 there may be a student section there, but beyond that, you know, it shouldn't be a shouldn't be a huge turnout in Berkeley. I will see you there. I appreciate you joining us every week, Anthony. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. All right, there he goes. Courtesy of Jamba, life is better blended. Anthony Gold, off into the sunset. Uh, you know, Oregon State is practicing this week with no music. No music. Jonathan Smith talked about it yesterday. It's been reported in the media. It's tweeted about by Nick Dashiell, who covers the team. And people sort of responded saying, oh, you're being petty. You're making fun of 
Berkeley. Cal doesn't draw fans. We get it. Ha ha. Well, I don't think that was the point. I think the point was that it's normally, you know, you go into a game week against USC, and what do they do? They play the USC band over and over. Dun, da, 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 da. So you can hear that over and over as a player. So when it's happening during the game, it doesn't bother you. How was my USC band? Um, and, you know, but if you go to Autzen Stadium and you're going to play against Oregon, they may, as a visiting team, play a bunch of noise and get you prepared. Colorado did that in front of their visit to Autzen Stadium. I don't know if it helped them, but at least they tried to get ready for it. So you see teams that will do that. But Oregon State's playing Berkeley, and the thing that Jonathan Smith wants to guard against is the sound of silence in the stadium like that. And so I think there's a real danger that your team shows up there as a visiting team and walks in, you know, you're already the road team. You're already out of your element. You're not sleeping in your own bed. Your your friends and family and fellow students are not in the crowd roaring behind you. There's literally a sprinkling of fans inside the stadium. And um, it's, you know, it's underwhelming and maybe a little bit emotionally flattening, kind of flattens you out a little bit. And so I think there is a danger that that kind of thing infects your team and affects your energy for the game. And so Jonathan Smith's trying to get his guys acclimated this week to the, um, to the sounds of, uh, you know, a stadium that is, you know, sparingly attended, lightly attended stadium in Berkeley. And, you know, and I think if Cal wants to take that as a personal attack, like like I could just imagine Deion Sanders heard that. Oh, he'd go ballistic. He'd encourage his home fans to be there. He'd have, you know, he'd turn the place into a uh, nightclub and a party and he'd, you know, bring the marching band out and bring 10 friends. And he and people would show up. Justin Wilcox, I don't know if he's going to do that. I'll ask him on tomorrow's show. Is that is that uh, partly what he was uh, what he was uh, after? You know, is he going to? He's coming on the show. Is he going to talk about? You know, this is a rallying cry for Cal. Like I think if Cal fans were going to show up for him, they would have already shown up. I, I think it's a great game. I think it's a fun game. I think Cal's better than advertised. I wrote it today. I put, I put my picks out at johnconzano.com. And, you know, I wrote about it, and I, I'm picking Oregon State uh, to win the game. But I also am looking at it going, hey, this is the storyline of this game is really a Cal team that has underachieved in a couple of spots, has been offensively inconsistent, two really decent defensive teams. This game feels like it will be played, you know, with maybe a total of, you know, 43 points right in that right in that. You know, area 42, 43 points. Winner's probably going to have about 24. That's kind of how I see the game going down. And, you know, unless Cal shows up with busloads of fans, it's going to be quiet inside that stadium. And it's going to be weird for some of these players who are coming off a Friday night game at Research Stadium that was pretty damn loud. All right, Anna's popping into the studio. We'll play a little punch at audio. She's got the five at five. We've got Thursday night football ahead right here on 750 The Game. I want you here for all of it. I want you to leave it right here. you got the bald-faced truth.
Anna's in the studio. Anna's in the studio. I got to say that. It's like, Mom's home. <laughs> One time I was in college. I was home for, like, spring break or maybe summer break. And I had a friend over. We were playing Tecmo Bowl on the living room TV. And my parents didn't. As you would normally do, yes. No, my parents didn't like us playing on. Oh. My dad did not. You know my dad. Yeah. My dad's got his chair. Yep. And he's got his TV. Mm-hmm. And. Don't mess with it. You don't sit in his chair if he's around. That's yeah. his chair. Mm-hmm. And you don't mess with the TV or the remotes. Okay? Yes. So my friend was over. My parents were not home. And I'm well, I'm old enough to... I was an adult. Okay? Let's, I'm just going to say that. Okay. I was of legal drinking age or above. Okay. <laughs> and... Oh, this gets better. And we were playing Tecmo Bowl on the living room TV, which was forbidden. We were supposed to play on some back room little monitor, but I had dragged it out. We were playing, and I heard my parents' car in the driveway. But my parent, my friend, didn't know about the rule. Right. And so I look over at him, horrified, and I go, "My parents are home," and I'm scrambling to unhook the Tecmo Bowl, and he's just dying. He's laughing. He's like, "How old are you? Your parents are home. Did you have any rules when you were a kid? Like?" Furniture that couldn't be sat on. Were you one of those families that had like plastic on the couch and stuff? You know? No, thank God. <laughs> I have been in those homes. And uh, God bless those kids that grew up in a very sanitized environment like that. No, my rules more involved like there's just no sugar. No sugar at mm. all in the home. So like, um, and also really strict on bedtime. Just oh, is that why you're militant with our kids? I, as I'm saying these things out loud, I'm like, oh, crud, I'm my mom. <laughs> like, <let's... laughs> I don't understand it. You're like, it was crazy. We're 38 minutes from bedtime. Okay. Why are you oh, telling us this? I've, I, that's, I'm horrified. Wow. That's that's like a moment there where you realize you've turned into your but own But weren't parent. you a kid? Like, I was the kind of kid when it was bedtime. Then I went into like a kind of a different mode. Like I had a transistor radio. I had AM radio to keep me company. Yeah. I would turn on on Sunday nights old time radio stories. I would listen to old shows mm-hmm. like uh, Jack Benny, Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> I would listen to the Green Hornet and all those shows. The Shadow Knows. I would listen to those Sunday radio shows. They were on some station I could get. Or, or I would listen to... Uh, talk shows from smart people. There's a guy named Bill Wattenberg who was on KGO in San Francisco. Yeah. He would he would just take questions from people who would be like, you know, uh, you know, my thermostat is, uh, you know, and he'd have the sci- he had the engineering background and the science background to fix their thermostat. And then the next person would call in and say, you know, I can't get carrots to grow in my garden. And he would talk about the soil and he would fix their gardening problem. And then the next person would be like, well, my TV, why does it get this station well, but it doesn't get this other station well. And he would be able to tell them about the different frequencies and the towers and the things they could do within their house to improve their television. It was like the guy was the smartest person on earth. Yeah. And he was on air forever. And I think he was a professor at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory and and a scientist. And then he just had this radio show that he dabbled in on Sunday nights. And then the rest of the time I was listening to sports talk. (laughs) <laughs> what were you doing? Um, it's funny because, yeah, I I also eventually got, I think we all had that same GE radio uh, alarm clock in our rooms. 
and I would listen to Art Bell yes. at a very low volume. So my parents didn't really want me to do that. They wanted me just to go to bed. But same thing. Like, it's hard when you're a kid to wind down. So I would listen to Art Bell on really low volume. So I probably knew way more about chemtrails um, than, like, the average 10-year-old should. Uh, a little strange. And he got then, great calls. He had fantastic calls from like real people living yeah. in a cabin coast to in, coast in the middle of nowhere yes would call him and they would talk about aliens. like aliens aliens or mythical creatures yeah. or you know um they would tell stories about the rapture you know they yeah. see people disappear yeah. i swear my neighbor was there one day the next day just his boots were there yes. you know like yeah and it was it would kind of scare the bejesus out of you. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was great to listen to. It gave you wonderful nightmares, uh, you know, as a kid. I listened to Art Bell. I actually, I would listen to uh, to Bill Shonley because often I would be sent to bed before a Blazers game was actually over. Hmm. So I would be sneak listening to uh, Rip City and the Blazers as they were finishing a game. And, you know, someone else might be watching it in the living room. I was listening on the radio. What was the era of... Like Bill, the Shans that you were listening to that, like you know, who who do you what do you remember? Oh, I mean, it was you know Clyde Drexler and Kevin Duckworth and Buck Williams and Jerome Kersey, and uh, there was some Danny Ainge in there. I mean, it was those were the players. Jim, bingo, bango, bango, yes sir. And, and you're trying to get to sleep, and he's yelling bingo, bango, bango. Well, I had to I had to have it on like volume three. You know, I had to keenly. Listen to it because I had to alert you know, no one else in the household that I was sneak listening to the radio. Let me try to reenact that sound level. Rexler on the inbound play. They got to get rid of it. Got to get rid of it. Back out to Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson to Clyde. Check on the shot clock. Cliff goes underneath. Bounce pass to Ainge. Ainge for three. Rip. You had to have it down low. Yeah, yeah, right about at that level. And see, that's why, like, when Bill Shumley passed, it, it's like. You know, you're, that's part of your childhood. He was part of my child, literally listening to him as I fell asleep and tried to get ready for school the next day, you know? And did your parents know that you were listening? Did they ever come in and take it? Because my thing is, I couldn't have that radio out. I had yeah. it under my pillow. I had pillow. it under my pillow. Yeah, yeah. I had it, uh, my well, pillow course. over it. Yeah. And then the I looked like I was fast asleep. Yes. But in my left ear, yeah. I could clearly hear and Hank Greenwald. Your, I'd keep my finger on the volume button so <laughs> that I'd mute it if I heard footsteps coming. <laughs> I could clearly <laughs> hear Hank Greenwald in the ninth inning. Jack Clark at bat, you know, Chili Davis on deck. And, uh, and no problem. Looked like I was sleeping like a baby. Yeah. It, was, it was quite the ruse. That I had. Are we the only people that no. are doing this? Judah, did you do this? Uh, did you have a radio under your pillow? It's amazing. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> uh, a little bit of both of your guys' backgrounds were, were my background growing up for sure. Yeah. When I was younger, I would listen to Blazer games with my brother and my dad as we, quote unquote, fell asleep. It was Brian Wheeler, you know, 98, 99 seasons in particular on this yellow radio. But uh, so that, you know, we got to keep out of the bed <laughs> i didn't have to stuff it under the pillow but as i got older and then discmans became a thing and they had yeah. you know am fm radio too and then headphones as well so then uh, i had to conceal that a little bit more as i listened to sports talk radio at night falling asleep 
That you had to do more of like this. Howard takes it out of the air. Outlet to Bayless. Three on three to Miller. Miller show and go and lays it in. He faked the behind the back pass and banked it home. Timeout Sacramento. And Paul Westfall <laughs> is bewildered, befuddled, and bemused. <laughs> there you go. Who needs you remember? Count, who needs yeah. to count sheep when you could just say yeah. befuddled, <laughs> bewildered, <laughs> bemused? <laughs> Isn't it funny that you remember the color of the radio? Without question. Without question. And uh, back then, ironically, the games were on 750 KXL. Mm, um, back right. when KXL was on 750 back in the day. So it's all coming full circle working at 750 these days. Very interesting. Maybe this explains why you occasionally will doze off <laughs> while you're in the control room. You're just conditioned that. No, I'm just oh, kidding. I'm just slay. kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but like, isn't that funny? Because when I when I hear like I uh, like months and months and months, it must have been during the pandemic. I I went looking for Bill Wattenberg, and it turned out he had retired. Mm-hmm. But they had all these old shows of his. It was the middle of the day, and I put it on, and I I could feel myself going, "Oh, this is my meditative go to sleep show." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I. I just remember that as a kid. I don't know. What are kids listening to now? Our kids are listening to podcasts. Yeah, I, isn't that funny? Because I think about it now, and they do. They both fall asleep. Like, I don't know if this is good parenting or not, but you and I both have relented on this. Uh, they both fall asleep listening to science podcasts. They listen to this podcast called Wow in the World. They also like another one called Story Pirates, where the people take stories that are submitted written by kids and submitted and free they, labor and they turn it into a whole storyline with music and song yeah i why aren't they listening to the podcast of these segments you know like why don't they want to hear mom and dad talking about sports and life and radios and <laughs> stuff like that they get enough huh? of us during the, the day that'll I'm be the sure. day when i go i've made it when i walk into their bedroom they're asleep because this happens every night this is the other thing that happens they're long asleep, and I do the rounds where, you know, I'm kind of like the warden going cell to cell. <laughs> Night checks. And I'm going Night like checks. bed check, make sure, they're, make sure that Andy Dufresne hasn't gone through the wall with a spoon. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm checking them, looking them over. I'm checking to see if they're breathing. You're looking for contraband and, in the yeah. bed. What's, and, that, what's but, that poster on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> I encounter wow in the world in their room and it's generally they're talking about science yeah and i'm going this is what they listen to these dorks what are they doing you know like (laughs) this is what they're into it's not but that's the funny thing is how far off is it from us when we were young not far (laughs) art bell yeah i don't know if that was science it was conspiracy you you should look up my my guy bill wattenberg he he was good like i'm sure it holds up and he would explain the difference between an AM and FM frequency and why you go into a parking garage and you, you struggle to get AM, but you can get FM just fine. Like, you know, and, and he would explain all of that. Yeah. I couldn't explain it now, but he explained it then, and I understood it at the time. And I was like, well, of course, that's why. And you know? Like Wattenberg, he's got to yeah. be a radio expert. What? Yeah. He had a great voice, too. Yeah, right? He had a fantastic voice. And he had a radio voice, and he had all the answers. I'm sure he's still alive. He's just probably retired. So I, but, I got bad news. He died. He died. I didn't. You didn't need to tell me that. How long ago? I don't care. <laughs> oh. 2018. Five years no. ago. Oh wow. Okay. You know what? He 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 wouldn't. Uh, the pandemic wouldn't have been good for his brain. 
it would have been him having to explain to a bunch of idiots what what was going on with the virus and how you how you come up with a vaccine he would have done all of that it, you know he's better off not having to ex- had to explain that to a radio audience i got another uh, little factoid about him for you if you okay. want to know more about yeah. your yes, castaway hero him. yeah i listened to him when i was like 12 13 years old so he's uh, married thrice his his third wife was 20 thrice? his tw- was 28 years younger than him is that, that what do you wow. think? He's a superstar. Yeah, like a lot of celebrities. That happens in the celebrity world. But I also think he was married to science. That's kind of what I think. Science was his, was was his bride, his true bride. His he had three mistresses. Married to the game. Who says thrice? Is this eighteen ninety? Wherefore? <laughs> We're gonna trade tobacco cards later. Judah, I love you. I like that. You know, got any other facts about my guy? Uh, you got confiscated for firearms or something like that? What? Uh, had, he wow. was involved in a firearm con- confiscation. Oh, wow. How about that? He suggested, uh, you know what, I'll, I won't read that one. Um, okay. He's always oh, been in Clint Eastwood films. I knew it. Oh. Wow, fascinating life. The I, Deadpool, I rem- Pink Cadillac, and True Crime. <laughs> I, I remember that he had, he often talked about a bunch of patents that he had. I yeah. was impressed by that. Yeah. That he had invented a bunch of things uh-huh. that, that were sense. like household items. Yeah. Like he was that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of a nutty inventor. Yeah. Perry, apparently married thrice. Thrice. You know? Thrice married. <laughs> That's how it goes. New, new podcast. Maybe somebody one day will approach me on the street and say, hey, when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to listen to your podcast under my pillow while I pretended to sleep. And in that moment, I will go like, hey, I've made it. That's that's making it. Love it. You know? Yeah. Someday. And you'll take it as a compliment, not like, hey, you. I listened to you to no. go to sleep. No, no, total compliment. You know, to put myself to sleep. No, because. I listened to you. I actually talk. think, okay, I actually think I don't have the science for this, and I wish Bill Wattenberg were here to answer this because he could probably answer this, or Art Bell could answer this. But I actually think there's something to... What you think about and where your mind is before you go to bed. And I think oh, it's yeah. and I think it's one of the dangers of flipping through your phone on social media or flipping through your emails or whatever people are doing right before they go to sleep. I actually think you function better, sleep better, and I think your brain works on kind of the space that you're in mm-hmm. before you go to sleep. And I think if you go to bed thinking about, you know, uh, dwelling on a problem and m- mired in your anxiety of it, it, yeah, you might have a restless night of sleep. But if you go to bed, like, maybe just kind of con- in a contemplative state, okay, where you're thinking about the logistics of some issue r- around your house or, uh, you know, some problem with UFOs or whatever, I actually think your brain tends to drift off in that space. And I often, and this is going to sound weird, if I go to sleep thinking about a sports issue and w- what I think about it and kind of working through it from like a radio show host columnist standpoint, I will sometimes wake up in the morning with the problem solved. And I'm wondering, did my brain just work on that overnight while I was a, my subconscious or as I was drifting off, did I kind of, did the problem come into focus for me? And so that I wake up knowing, you know, here's the, here's the crux to the issue like, I have clarity often in the morning. I don't know if that's relatable or not. Do you do that at all? 
Um, I know that I'm affected. By the way, I know that that happens to you because I've seen it happen, and it's a little freaky. Because you'll wake me in the morning, and you'll be like, "Hey, I figured it out." And I'm like, "Wow, that sounds it was a sounds like it was really a restful night of sleep for you." Not really. Um, I you know, for me, if we're watching something scary like <laughs> Black Mirror, and we're starting to kind of you know, it's getting closer to time to drift off to bed. I will insist that we watch like five minutes of something funny and lighthearted, yeah. maybe a little stand-up comedy before we fall asleep because otherwise my night will be just riddled with nightmares. I'm very, okay. my mind is very malleable, sadly. I think way. we're talking about the same thing, but I can remember as a kid going to sleep, kind of mulling over writing issues or sports issues and just kind of working on it as I'm falling to sleep thinking about something it could be something inane or mm -hmm. you know innocuous but now i do that now with columns and i do that now with this radio show where i'm trying to logistically figure out where the guest fits or what's the right day to have the guest on or uh you know what should i be writing about tomorrow and you know what is the column what is the thing that i need to be writing about and yeah. focused on what is the story mm -hmm. right you know because you want to tell the story and, you know, that's the most important thing. What is the story? Yeah. And um, I will often wake up and that problem is kind of resolved in my mind where I know it. And I, I, I think like it's my subconscious maybe mm -hmm. relaxing as I'm going to sleep thinking about it. But you're right because if you go to bed, you know, amid like the chaos of TikTok. Yeah. Or Instagram, scrolling through Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder how that interrupts the flow of your brain and your thinking. You know, like, like you don't see hitters right before they jump into the batter's box scrolling through TikTok and the batter's box. So it, it tells me that it, those kinds of things don't help you focus. Yeah. What are they doing when they're on deck? They're loosening up. They're swinging the bat. They're watching the pitcher. They're starting to get focused. So maybe right before you go to sleep, not a good idea to maybe to to be, uh, you know, scrolling through TikTok like I do you know, on, on most nights. Like maybe I need to put that down a little more. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say to put the phone down or any screen away at least an hour before you're actually trying to fall asleep because your brain needs that time to kind of wind down. I do have a friend that wears these, like, crazy glasses Not if she there. has to be on her phone or any kind of device after, like, 7 o'clock because she's trying to block all that light mm. out of her brain. She should take a selfie for us. <laughs> I would like to see this scene. <laughs> Leave it here. You got the BFT. We got Thursday night football coming up in the five o'clock hour. It'll be the Commanders hosting the Chicago Bears, the 0 and four Bears uh, visiting the nation's capital, Chicago, at Washington. Coming up 5:15, right here on 7:50. The game, the five at five, will precede that. So Anna, you're gonna have to lead us right into that with your five at five. She's getting ready for that. Uh, news today, uh, you've got uh, the NFL defending its focus on the Taylor Swift front, defending it as a pop culture moment. But you also have a report in the New York Post today pointing out that uh, certain NFL television partners were instructed to feature complimentary, free, whatever adjective you'd like to use, advertisements for the forthcoming concert film, Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, um, some of the networks have shown that. NBC did it. NBC did it. Some of the other networks did not do it. Where do we stand on this? NFL urging its partners 
to advertise Taylor Swift's movie. I get that Taylor Swift would be into this. I am a believer in love, okay? I am. And I have long said this Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing. I don't want to do what the crowd is doing. I don't want to buy into the idea that this is some kind of a, you know, marketing ploy. But when the NFL does this, it kind of makes me wonder what is really going on. Mm-hmm. Did you see that story? New York Post had it. You know, it's a little salacious. Yeah. But the NFL telling its broadcast partners, hey, give her some love. Mm-hmm. Like, embrace it. It's good for us that the Swifties know that we're on the on the Taylor Swift train or what? Like, it's confusing to me because I don't know that she necessarily needs free promotion at this point. Right. You know, of all people, you know, she and Lionel Messi are on your top two list of most known people worldwide. I, I don't think she needs free promotion of anything. They're, they're overdoing it. The NFL is overdoing it. And, but, but they're defending them their self, but themselves. Don't, don't you process. think? Don't you think this is more about like? The, okay, let me just say this: like, if you're a NASCAR driver and you have no sponsorships, and you're looking over at like the best NASCAR drivers, and they have all these cool sponsorships, what you really want is one day to drive a car that's got all those logos on the car, right? Because that means you've made it, right? But the NFL, to me is like the biggest NASCAR driver in sports. Mm -hmm. It has, it doesn't need anybody. And yet I see them with this Taylor Swift thing going, let's put Taylor Swift's logo on our car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's essentially what they're saying. I mean, they put out a statement today saying, we frequently change our bios and profile imagery based on what's happening in and around our games as well as culturally. The Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey news has been a pop cultural moment we've leaned into in real time as it's an intersection of sport and entertainment. And we've seen an incredible, incredible amount of positivity around the sport. So NBC and ESPN both gave in to the request of the NFL and showed promos for Taylor Swift's movie during their pregame shows on Sunday and Monday this last weekend. ESPN played the the movie promos during the Sunday countdown and during the Monday countdown on its network. NBC did it for free on its pregame show, Football Night in America, prior to the Chiefs-Jets game, which Swift attended. There was also a Taylor Swift commercial during the NBC game. The ad time for the commercial was paid for, but the ad time for the promotion of the movie was not. They, They just did that as kind of a... We call it a kiss in this business. They gave Taylor Swift a kiss. Mm-hmm. Are they going to ruin that relationship? Is the NFL going to ruin the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey relationship? They're like a they're like a you know somebody's mom is meddling here. Oh gosh, I mean I think that relationship is fraught with challenges if it's real. Anyway, don't you right? think they wouldn't have gone public if it wasn't real? Don't you think there's a potential embarrassment for one or both? Likely yeah. a song getting made about Travis Kelsey. <laughs> I can hear it now. Taylor Swift's getting that song ready. The NFL ruined, you know, I'm not going to try to sing it. You know, the lyrics have to do with the NFL meddling in her relationship. Roger Goodell, you know. <laughs> she was in the, he, Roger Goodell was in the back of daddy's pickup truck or something. I don't know. There's going to be a line in there. I just know they're definitely walking it back. I mean, even the most recent game that she attended, they didn't leave together. So they're trying to just downplay this a little bit, right? I, I don't, but the paparazzi's I all over it. I think it's done. 
I think I I don't know if they can make this. Okay, it's just too much for now. The only question is, will Brittany Mahomes will Brittany Mahomes get to slide back over in the in the suite? <laughs> she's been now moved over, like she's in the obstructed view seat over in the corner, and you've got like Travis Kelsey's mom, Taylor Swift, you know, a couple other hangers on. You got a publicist there, and then we're like, where's Brittany? She used to be front and center. She was the only show in that suite, and now she's moved over. She's on the far corner eating popcorn. I noticed the headline a couple days ago. By the way, Brittany and Patrick Mahomes made a really huge donation to charities across the country to benefit kids recently. You got to step their game up. Hey, hey, over here. You got to step it up. Um, (laughs) The funny thing is that Kelsey's brother, who plays for the Eagles, Yeah. It, he's saying it's gone too far. <laughs> See, he's like the voice of reason. Kelsey himself is saying it's gone too yeah. far. So, yeah. The, he, Kelsey himself said the NFL. That's got to be really obnoxious. It. What? Because, yeah. all right, I, I I covered the NFL in 2001, okay? okay? I was covering the Niners and the Raiders. Okay. I'm not going to say what player it was, but I was in the locker room, and players get tickets to the games, that they generally will get, you know, the, the team marketing person will come into the room, the ticket person will come into the yeah. locker room well before the game. And this happens in the NBA, too. And they'll say, uh, the players will go, hey, I need I need a ticket left at will call yeah. for so-and-so. Yeah. Here's the name. They've got a clipboard. They put the name, and they'll look at where the ticket is. Yeah. It's a good seat, okay? Put them in the seat. There was an NFL player in the NFL who was playing for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> okay. Who... Had his girlfriend come into the game. Okay. But he had a problem. He had a second girl come into the game, too. Okay? <laughs> and the team ticket person made the mistake oh, no. of sitting them side by side <laughs> by giving them side by side tickets. <laughs> you got to bo- manage that They both that showed situation. up wearing his jersey or whatever, no. you know? I mean, it was no. just, it was a disaster. <laughs> I heard about it afterwards. Guy was furious. He was furious. Yeah, he was mad because the, the ticket guy didn't get them. You know, hey, separate, separate a little bit of breathing room here. You need some margins, okay? Yeah. But I have literally seen NBA players go to the person who's doing the tickets. Yeah. And go, let me see where that seat is. Okay, I need one there, and I need one here. Like you know, they're they're scattering around the arena, and wow. I I always wonder who gets the better seat. Wow. Like in that scenario so talk about the ultimate first world problem yeah there, but, huh? but where like taylor swift she can't go get a ticket and sit in section 129 you know they have to put her in kelsey's mom's suite that's the only place she can be <laughs> there's no you know now you can bring another pop star to the game you're, you're <laughs> travis kelsey you know oh gosh so he's getting boxed in here yeah i hope this ends well for him I'm worried you about. You hope this ends well for yeah, him. Yeah, I'm worried about him. I'm yeah. not worried about her. She's gonna be fine. I think he's gonna get chewed up in the Taylor Swift. He needs to call John right Mayer here. or whoever he needs to call and get some advice. <laughs> That's that needs to happen. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. The 5 at 5 is coming up with Anna. we got a lot to talk about. 
Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, did you hear what he was asked today? He was asked if he will play the Washington fight song at practice during Oregon's uh, preparation going up to Husky Stadium in week seven. They got a bye week this week. Here's what Dan Lanning said. A year ago, you were playing the Washington fight song in practice to fire those guys up. Do you have anything new up your sleeve? You can be doing that again this year. We're going to try to win the game, right? We're going to try to win the game. We'll see We'll see what that looks like. <laughs> try to win the game, right? He's, that's, his, that's his thing. He says, right. You doubt me? Listen to this. He was asked if any statistics stand out this season. I'm not really a big statistic, guys. I like that W, right, at the end of each day, right? Um, you know, I know the statistics that matter, like we said, is takeaways, explosive plays, right? Um, third down offense and defense and red area scoring, right? Those are those are the ones that really matter. Once you notice it, you can't unhear it. <laughs> I want to talk to him about this. Can he? How many minutes can he go in our next interview without saying right? Don't make him self-conscious about it. Right? <laughs> is it just me, or is 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 this like Dan Landing 2.0? He feels edgier this year. Yeah, I think he is. You know? Yeah. I don't know if it's just how he's being portrayed in those amazing two-day-later films that the Ducks, you know, marketing team is putting out yeah. after the games, but he just seems like he's got a little little extra something there. A little edge year. to him. Mm-hmm. I would like to I see like I'd like to see Dana Altman, like, you know, approaching 70. No. Dana, Dana Altman find no, that edge. No, Dana Altman you know? is Dana Altman. You know, uh by the way, Dana Altman was asked about the uh the Pac-12 breaking up. Here's what he said. Listen for the edge. You know, 13 years, you know, and and uh I'm a little disappointed. You know, I I love the conference. You know, I uh, like the travel, I like the rivalries, you know, I I like the conference. Um you know, change is always difficult, and we, we've got some big changes coming up. Uh, but it's also exciting at the same time, you know. Um, I'm not sure about taking some of those long trips in January, February, March. You know, we haven't had one weather delay in the 13 years. I went back, and I was thinking, man, we haven't had one weather delay. I said, only we're going to get away with that in the future. Dana Altman. I, I know what Dana Altman's morning is like, just based on what he said there. <laughs> I know how he wakes up. He wakes up to a cup of coffee, yes. an actual newspaper, yeah. and uh, and some meditation. He's wearing a white Hanes t-shirt, yeah. like an undershirt. I know everything I table. need to know about how Dana Altman starts his morning, <laughs> just listening to that statement. He's got a whole grain toast. Yeah, grape nuts, maybe. I don't know. I like Dana Altman. I'm not saying I don't like him. He's a hell of a coach. He's, well, yeah, yeah. A hell of a coach. He and I uh, have warmed to each other. Uh, Jerry Depoto, did you see this? I don't. Is this in, is Jerry Depoto going to make your five at five? No. Before we get going, we just talked about Jerry okay. Depoto. Okay. Okay. Remember, he's Mister Fifty Four Percent. Yeah. 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 He has apologized for the comments. Mariner. Yes, Mariners GM apologizing. First, I'd like to say I'm I'm generally embarrassed by by the way, at least you know that comment and and especially one other was received and you know I I've been doing this job or roles like this for a long time now. And I, I've made mistakes. I've made my fair share like most do. And, and this is kind of one of those times. And I, I just did a poor job of illustrating the points that I was trying to make. And uh, in, in one case I chose to, to try humor, to, to lighten a, a grave question. And obviously that wasn't what the moment called for. And 
And with this one, the 54%, you know, I just completely whiffed in my attempt to, to paint a big picture baseline of, of what, you know, obviously makes more sense to me than, than our fans and media. Uh, our goal isn't to be mediocre. Our goal is to win championships and then to play at a high level for a long time. And, and that's what I was trying to convey. That it just, obviously, it didn't help. He, he gave a 54% effort. In that original news conference. He knows. He, the He's PR human. team got to him. He's human. Yeah. Can but we forgive him? Will the fans I, forgive him? I, I Is don't, that enough? They'll forgive him if he wins. <laughs> you know? Like, if, go and prove it now. Yeah. You know? Go sign a... I, th- I think this actually puts pressure on the Mariners to go make a trade or go make a big signing. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what he does. Yeah. All right. The Five at Five. The Five at Five. Anna's number one story. Hey, you guys, starting today, there will be 49 consecutive days, count them, with either college football or NFL played until November 22nd. It all begins tonight with Jacksonville State at Middle Tennessee and FIU at New Mexico State. Start your engines. Starts there. We also have the Thursday night football game with the... uh... Chicago Bears playing with a lot of emotion tonight uh, against the Commanders. Number two. I thought you were going to have more to say about that. Number two. Dick (laughs) Butkus, Bears legend and Hall of Fame linebacker, dies at age 80. One of the greatest defensive players in league history. The Butkus family confirms that he died peacefully in his sleep overnight at home in Malibu, California. They are gathering with his wife and appreciate prayers and support. His wife, Helen, they were married 60 years. Wow. How about that? 60. When I think of the Chicago Bears, like two or three images come to my mind. Of course, Walter Payton, sweetness. Maybe the 85 Chicago Bears, how dominant they were. And then it's 51. Linebacker Dick Butkus, who would go sideline to sideline. And as they said on an NFL film special I saw when I was in high school, if you go running up in the stands, he'll chase you up in the stands and tackle you. That was Dick Butkus. Phenomenal player, Hall of Famer. Bears tonight playing on Thursday night football. Maybe with a little extra as they go to Washington. Bears are 0-4. The number three story is... The WNBA is expanding. It's announced that it's approved the Golden State Warriors to bring an expansion franchise to the Bay Area starting in 2025. It lines up nicely for Portland. Portland's said to be under strong consideration by the WNBA for that second spot. Immediately this morning, early this morning, I got a note from U.S. Senator Ron Wyden who was saying, you know, he's he's banging the drum. He believes Portland's lined up for this. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and uh, I think I think Portland's going to get a WNBA team, but I think this will be the next phase. Strong consideration. Portland likely to get the next franchise. Number four. Joel Embiid officially chose to play for Team USA. He'll be in Team USA uniform 2024 Paris Olympics. He'll be joining, I believe, Kevin Durant, who also has publicly committed to playing for this team. And it surprised some people because he picked the U.S. over France and Cameroon, where he also holds citizenship. He explained his reasoning. He said his son is American. And add that to the fact that he's been in the U.S. for a long time. He feels like for the past few years, this has been more every decision has been based off of is for his family. Yeah, Joel Embiid deciding to play for the U.S., 
Is it more about like a victory for the U.S. or is this Embiid going? I got a better chance to win a gold medal with USA. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I we mean, do- maybe he watched the Redeem Team documentary and yeah. felt inspired. Yeah. I mean, hey, by the way, if you haven't seen that documentary, check that out. It's on Netflix, I think. The Redeem Team is really well done. But I kind of think Embiid is going, eh, I can win with USA. I don't know if I can win with France. You know, it's a, it's a super team era. Mm. The number five story as you see it. Kirk Cousins wore a disguise to be just another fan at a Twins playoff game. You know, he's pretty famous in Minnesota, but... Uh, I guess he wanted to go to this Twins game, and so instead of putting him in a luxury suite, he went online and bought the tickets from a reseller and threw on a cap and some sunglasses and was just uh, sitting in the stands. It kind of worked for a while. For a while? For a while. And then the fans around him like caught on that, hey, wait, that's Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I, what is he? Tr- I guess. Do you admire that? What do you think of that? I just think it's the most Kirk Cousins kind of thing to do. Is he kind of dorky? I mean, it's not like he had to try that hard to blend in. The guy just constantly wears like cargo pants, and I mean, you know. It's... Was he wearing his full uniform? <laughs> no. Besides sunglasses, no, he's just wearing <laughs> his normal Kirk Cousins attire. <laughs> I can understand why he blended in. If it wasn't, <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that he had on his jersey. Nobody would have known it was him. <laughs> said cousins you know? on the back. <laughs> he had his name. It was all tucked in. He had the full shoulder pads on. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have been right in there. All right. Good five at five. Loved it. I'm going to leave you with Dan Lanning talking about uh, what's important to him in a football season. Here he is talking about the Washington game and what statistics he's looking at in bye week. I'm not really a big statistic, guys. I like that W, right, at the end of each day, right? Um, you know, I know the statistics that matter, like we said, is takeaways, explosive plays, right? Um, third down offense and defense and red area scoring, right? Those are those are the ones that really matter. Those are the ones that matter, right? Right. Um, so Jonathan Smith, uh, we had him on yesterday's show. If you missed the podcast, grab that. Tomorrow on the program, Cal coach Justin Wilcox will be joining us to talk about the Oregon State-Cal game in Berkeley on Saturday. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.